Good morning, this is Dr. Guerra. Um, you're listening to Authentic Biochemistry Podcast on the 5th of December, 2022. We're going to be doing lecture four on immunoepigenetics. And we've been introducing the immune response, the first uh, preamble lectures. And we were talking about membrane lipid raft mediated responses. Um, linked to T-cell receptor stimulation, activation, downstream processing, and ultimately the expression of genes that are associated with T-cell replication and maintenance of activation. So we're going to get into more detail about that today. And we're also going to talk about some of the proteins that have been implicated in the membrane um that are linked downstream to t-cell receptor response after antigen present uh, presentation and i'm going to give you some detail about some of these proteins to give you an idea of how the research literature can maintain and explore multiple expressions of understanding of how polypeptides can be used in multiple cellular settings and that any one description of a protein um, in a given physiological role for example either pathophysiological or normal healthy physiological as linked to the biochemical processes which of course support that physiology would be limiting to your understanding of whatever that particular molecule is be it a protein <clears throat> or a lipid, or a nucleic acid, or even a carbohydrate, the lesser of all the molecular species, obviously. Uh, that was a joke. At any rate, that's why I like to do these lectures um, basically ad hoc. So when I'm writing a lecture, I have in my mind what I want to do uh, substantively, but I also keep an open mind when I find that there is a way to um, segue into a different description and a totally different pathology, for example, because many people are interested in the biomedical aspects of this podcast. And I do that uh, not to um, lose focus on what we're doing here, but specifically to increase the awareness and the acuity of how research biochemistry, specifically what we talk about here, authentic biochemistry, is quite a plenum and quite florid, the words I use often, such that any one um, subdiscipline of understanding of the molecular events around um, a suite of proteins that say get rafted into a plasma membrane in a nascent T-cell population uh, would be an inadequate understanding of the process. So we want to be uh, more on top of that. We want to give you not only how these uh, detailed processes work at the biochemical level, and sometimes at the organic chemical level, and certainly genetic and physiological, <clears throat> but also so that you see across the spectrum of research, how that fits in to a better understanding of the complexity of biochemical systems, which again 
is another way of saying the complexity of natural phenomena, right? Okay. So here we go. Sorry for the introduction, but not really sorry. Now, this paper that was published in 2022 was using the OptiPrep density gradient and a S-trap label-free quantification to generate a high yield of membrane-associated proteins in membrane lipid rafts. And they were using those techniques. Remember, the OptiPrep is one of those uh, nitrogen heterocycle um, non-ionic detergents that also function in uh, density gradient centrifugation to isolate specific subspecies of membrane lipid raft components. So it's used as an isolation procedure, right? Which was an increase in sophistication of that technique from the 2010s when we were still using simply non-ionic detergents such as, such a, such as some of the um, cholesterol derivatives, the bile acid derivatives, <clears throat> just basically just disaggregate membrane uh, lipid raft fractions in uh, density gradients from uh, usually sucrose gradients from after ultracertification. This opti prep procedure, which is a density gradient, um, was linked to something called the sample trap preparation or S-trap, which um, there's a lot of detail on, on the <clears throat> method that I was going to go into, but I decided not to because you can read that on your own. But the method is more sophisticated than it used to be. So you're able to isolate proteins and really get an idea of how the proteins are segregated in individual subspecies of membrane lipid wrap. That's the whole purpose of this kind of research is to get more granular in our understanding of how those units of membrane remember, are translocated, fitted into an, a pre-existing plasma membrane, and then reorganized once in the membrane to generate a domain to carry out a function. And that event function would be something like, you know, T-cell reception of an antigen present, presentation from an MHC-class protein on the surface of a professional antigen-presenting cell. And how all that works at the biochemical level from those two cells interacting. Right? The membrane lipid raft is a major player there because it's presenting all those polypeptides in the right stoichiometry. Okay. Now, this paper that'll be in the show notes looked at, they were looking at all the proteins they could find, and they identified 39 different polypeptides that were selectively recruited about 15 minutes after a stimulation uh, for T-cell reception. And it, they discovered that all those proteins play some kind of role in T-cell function and in lipid membrane raft dynamics. Now, some of these proteins include, but you'll see there are more, AKT2, NCK1, TGF-beta-1, TBC1D10, PDLIM1, intersectin 2, and another protein called CHIRP. Now, 
what is AKT2? So now we're going to go into detail. So they use this isolation procedure using Azoptic prep for membrane lipid graphs. So, and they isolate these different proteins. So what is AK2? When they find the protein, now we're going to describe what it does. You know that AKT2 is a member of the protein kinase B, AKT superfamily, right? And its role is often described in association with mTOR in the cell, but it's found in various physiological purposes. So it plays a role in signaling phenomena that's usually linked to some kind of activation or differentiation. As it turns out, AKT2 is important for GERCAT and human primary T cell function subsequent to T cell activation. So that protein was found in the membrane lipid wrap. Now, AKT is recruited to the plasma membrane post-TCR activation, and it occurs by an interaction between its plextrin homology domain, that's the PhD domain, it's a polypeptide domain, and membrane phosphoinositol phosphates that are part of that raft, as well as becoming associated within the plasma membrane of the T-cell. And ultimately, that, that AKT phosphorylated by PKC, protein kinase C, at a specific serine residue, 473. Now, you know that PKC, protein kinase C, is activated by diacylglycerol, which is generated by phospholipase C. Now, how does that fit in? We talked about this before. I'm going to remind you. We stimulate CD4 positive T cells. You get a signaling cascade that's linked through the T cell receptor. Ultimately, one of the major products from activation of the receptor to transcription, translation, and secretion of polypeptide, that major polypeptide secreted from T cell reception activation is interleukin 2. Interleukin 2 is known as a, a cytokine, right? Now, all of those events take place in the plasma membrane microdomain. And those plasma membrane microdomains are derived from lipid membrane rafts. Okay. Now, we know that there's this clustering and aggregation of the rafts, and that plays a role in TCR-mediated signaling because it generates that platform. That platform not only um, mobilizes proteins from their initial synthesis, remember, from, poly from polyribosomes to trafficking proteins into the ER, to modification of proteins in the ER, and also proteins synthesized in situ in the ER uh, on, on ribosomes associated with that. So those proteins are immediately glycosylated, prenylated, acylated. So now you have a, a group of proteins that are segregated and synthesized together, moving through the endomembranous system, also through the lumen of the ER, ultimately going through the Golgi apparatus and to the plasma membrane. I remember all of that. That's all necessary as prolegomena for T-cell receptor ligation to an antigen-presenting cell. Right? Now, one of the initial features, once all that's in place, but it's not in place and done. It's not one and done. It's constantly retailoring during the processing of the reception of the ligation to 
the antigen which is presented to the naive T cell. Okay? Yeah. So, but one of the first things that occurs, one of the first molecular events that occurs after T cell ligation is a CERC family kinase. That Remember, that was the lymphocyte-specific protein tyrosine kinase that causes phosphorylation of many other proteins on their tyrosine residues. And those other proteins are immunoreceptor tyrosine-activated motifs, or ITAMs. Right? Now, those phosphorylated ITAMs, from the CERC kinase LCK are going to generate that docking site for another protein called ZAP7. It's a zeta chain protein. It's going to bind and activate yet another cascade complex called the LCK, the one we just introduced at the beginning of the process. So further, active, further the activation of ZAP70 phosphorylates LAT. Now, LAT is linker for activated T cells, okay? So you have LCK, lymphocyte-specific protein tyrosine kinase. Then you have linker for activated T cells, which also gets phosphorylated by ZAP70. So that's an adapter protein, the, the, the last one I mentioned, LAT, which recruits phospholipase C-gamma-1 into the raft assembly. Now, all those proximal plasma membrane lipid ref associated signaling events are initiated by the T-cell receptor ligand binding, and it produces a distal signaling component, ultimately including NFAT. So NFAT is an intermediary between T-cell reception, all this phosphorylation I just mentioned, this reorganization in, in the lipid membrane raft, and then the recruitment or <coughs> transcription factor called NFAT. <clears throat> That's all intermediary to the final, and this is only one, of the transcription activations, and that is for interleukin-2, remember. So NFAT is the nuclear factor for activated T cells and ultimately is going to result as a transcription factor in uh, interleukin-2 expression at the transcriptional level. So remember that IL-2 is a critical lymphokine, also known as a cytokine, that's coming from the um, lymphatic cells, so we call it a lymphokine. And it's also a growth factor. It's a growth factor for T cells. Therefore, it's going to play a significant role in regulating immune activation and homeostasis, right? And it exerts a huge amount of event ontologies for T cell metabolism. Now, other proteins, besides the one I just mentioned, include one called TBC1D10, which is an activating protein of a GTPase, RAB35. Now, RAB35 functions in the formation of the immunological synapse. So that means it's going to regulate the TCR transport so that it's aggregated around the activation in association with antigen presentation. So TCB1D10 in the RAF35 will co-localize with TCR. And knockdown of that TBC1D10 
will interrupt or inhibit the immunological synapse relocation and therefore activation. So PD-LIM1 is involved in the formation of actin networks, probably plays a role in the structural formation of lipid raft clusters, and it's always found in an immunological synapse environment, at least in this discussion. So PD-LIM1 expression is increased during G-cell activation, along with KV-olin expression. Right? And as it turns out, all of this can be triggered by corticosteroid. That's correct. Now, while its role in T-cell activation is currently unknown, and I'm going to put a big... Uh, uh, caveat on that statement, intersectin 2, new protein I'm going to bring in here now, is a protein just, that participates in TCR internalization. And it's found in association with a disorder called the Wiscott-Aldrich syndrome. So it's in association with a protein of that syndrome called WASP. So Wiscott-Aldrich syndrome protein. Also CDC 42 so that there is a maximum of interaction with the former protein only 10 minutes post-TCR activation. So intersectin is playing a really important role here, and it's also linked to some disease we'll talk about soon. So the internalization of the T-cell receptor is a key step in the regulation of T-cell activation. Okay, you get that much. And of course, it's going to be cytoskeletal rearrangement. It's going to be clathrin-dependent endocytosis. And intersectin 2 is found right there and it's recruited into lipid membrane rafts. Okay. So let's talk about intersectin 2 in more detail. Okay. A paper published in Frontiers in Behavior and Neuroscience in 2020 tells us the following Most common intellectual disability in humans is actually Down syndrome. Of course, that's trisomy at chromosome 21, and it has an incidence of actually 1 in 700 live birth. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because intersectin 1 is one of the 219 protein-coding genes on that chromosome, and it's overexpressed in Down syndrome. Very interesting. After all the things I told you about intersectin, that's pretty interesting, right? Now, Intersectin has two major protein isoforms because of differential splicing. It has a long, relatively large 200,000 Dalton form and a, much, and a shorter one, 140,000 kilodalton, that is, form. The long isoform is predominantly expressed in neuronal cells, but it's also expressed in the eye, the heart, in lymphocytes and leukocytes as well as in the kidney. Now, the long isoform has, because it's longer, has three additional protein domains from the short isoform. And they're at the C-terminus. And that, what are those domains doing? What's their function? They bind calcium. They regulate cell signaling and act in cytoskeleton rearrangement, where they actually function after that rearrangement to generate ion channels for rapid neurotransmission. So 
this ITSN protein, this intersectin protein, acts as a scaffold with different proteins binding to it. And so, obviously, those different proteins are going to alter the function. And the function can be, at the, at the strictest physiological level, involved in endocytosis and exocytosis. In fact, its role in endocytosis of clathrin-coated vesicles um, was how we described in the literature the fusion and formation processes essential to control nerve cell communication at the pre- and postsynaptic level. So this protein is really significant, right? In that intersectin is associated with all of that pre- and postsynaptic function, generating rapid neurotransmission and the replenishment of release-ready synaptic vesicles. So intersectin-1, that isoform, has a regulatory role in a number of signal transduction cascades, including MAP kinase and also the 3' kinase C2-beta-AKT pathway, which we were just talking about relative to the immune synapse, right? All right. Okay, now continuing. <clears throat> the role in dendritic spine morphogenesis for this intersectin protein, particularly the long isoform, is because its association with a GEF, that's a guanine nucleotide exchange factor. And I told you that's, in, in, that's uh, how we describe the Wiscott Aldrich syndrome protein complex which constitutionally activates a row family GTPase, that's the CDC42, and that will lead to actin polymerization and spine morphogenesis. So this intersectin co-localizes with F-actin, cytoskeletal protein, at the dendritic spines, and there we get an increased number of filipodia together with a decreased number of Bhutan spines in the intersecting knockdown neuron. All right. Now, what that suggests, because you knock down the protein now, intersecting much, must have some kind of very vital role in dendritic spine morphogenesis. Right? Okay. So, intersecting one connects a number of cellular functions here at this synaptic vesicle recycling phenomena. And its association is with actin protein dynamics and therefore cell signaling. And when you link those together in neuroscience, the, in the rodent model, that is linked to higher order activities of the brain, which include learning and memory. So learning and memory may be associated with this one protein I just mentioned to you that comes up on a membrane lipid raft in the immune synapse. Now we're talking about in the central nervous system. Okay. All right. See, so a multi-use or multifunctional elaboration of polypeptide in totally different cellular organ compartments nevertheless playing a role as an adapter protein 
to generate scaffolds to carry out a much more complex function, such as memory in this case, or what? The immune synapse for TCR activation. Right, so that's why I'm giving you this. Now, this particular study I'm talking about used mice, and they were looking at the long form of intersectin 1, and they knocked it out. So they call this intersectin 1 LKO, right? Long knockout. And they wanted to find out how that long isoform affects brain function. And so what they were testing in this road model is locomotor activity, what they call cognition, which usually involves a maze test. And of course, subcellularly, it's the signaling pathways, synaptic activity. And they're measuring synaptic activity here as LTP, that's long-term potentiation, which is a link to memory, right? And also they were looking at hippocampal dendritic spine density because it's linked to spine, uh, uh, dendritic sp spine morphogenesis, right? Okay. And they're looking at the wild type versus the knockout mice. So what they found? Okay, I've got five minutes left. Let's see what I can do here. The intersecting long-form knockout mouse had long-term memory deficits, impaired LTP, that's long-term potentiation, and in reference to what we've been discussing for the first part of this lecture, an interruption or a deficiency in AKT signaling, which is no surprise to us because I just explained to you how this protein, this intersectin, is associated with AKT activity in the immune synapse. Here we're talking about in the neural synapse. So again, it's playing a similar role, but in a totally different biochemical, physiological event. Right? Now, again, I don't call that moonlighting for that protein. Protein's carrying out a very similar function, scaffolding an aggregate of polypeptides and, and membrane lipids <clears throat> to carry out a specific physiological function. It's doing, it same, doing that in both systems. It's just the systems are quite different <clears throat> in a lot of other ways, right? So it looks like this ITSN1, because you're looking at the knockout studies, and you saw a reduction in apical dendritic spines on hippocampal pyramidal neurons, suggests that ITSN1 normally has a very significant role in hippocampal-dependent functions. Now, what are hippocampal-dependent functions in the central nervous system? Well, that's learning and memory. Something I know all my students here and my colleagues are very proficient at. Now, let's summarize this. Cognitive and locomotor behavior, as well as long-term potentiation, and even the MAP kinase, 3' kinase C2 beta AKT cell signaling pathway, in association with the density, the formation of dense dendritic spines, that is, on hippocampal pyramidal neurons in those knockout mice had deficits specifically in long-term spatial memory. So now they're linking a polypeptide to a, uh, a neuropsychological event, right? Because part of a psychological aspect here is learning and memory, right? That's neurological as well. That's at the physiological level. 
Now I'm giving you the biochemistry, but also at a psychological level, right? So there's three levels here that you can discuss. Oh, got good and short here. All right. Now, quickly, from another paper, Respiratory Research 2017, intersectins are multi-domain polypeptides. We know all about this. They're involved in cytoskeletal rearrangement. But they're also involved in the early event of pulmonary pathogenesis. So in lung cancer, ITSNs impair EPS8 ubiquitinylation and favor an EPS8 MSOS1, those are two proteins interacting, which activates a RAC1 leading to enhanced lung cell proliferation, migration, and metastasis. When you restore ITS1 deficiency in lung cancer cells, facilitates a cytoskeletal change favoring mesenchymal to epithelial transformation, which impairs lung cancer progression. Okay. Get that? That it was a totally different system, right? Now you have three systems considered. Cardiomyocyte, the neuron, and the T-cell. All right. So let's close shop here for now. Dr. Dan Guerra, an authentic biochemistry podcast on a foggy, snowy December day in North Idaho, saying bye for now.